0: Please join me in the prayer for God to illumine our hearts and minds. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light. In your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 55, verses one to three. Listen to God's word for us. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Today's second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 10 through 28. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. Then Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached him and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees, took offense when they heard what you said? Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornification, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with Unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Serene Jones, a theologian and minister, tells a story about a Christmas pageant at her church in New Haven, Connecticut. Just about everybody went to her church, and I mean everybody. One particular year, as chance would have it, the part of the innkeeper was played by a homeless man named Reggie, who was well known by all in the congregation. Reggie's direction, his direction was to stand in the center aisle. When Mary and Joseph knocked on his door and asked him if he had room for them to spend the night, Reggie was supposed to say, no, I do not. This was pretty clear, or so everyone thought. During the performance, however, caught up in the moment, Reggie greeted the young couple with a grin and said, Come on in! This unscripted line not only threatened, oh my goodness, threatened to derail the entire pageant, it also thoroughly confused Mary and Joseph who seemed strangely unable to recognize a good thing when they saw it. Nervously, they asked him again, Is there any room for us in the inn? Again, Reggie, the innkeeper, repeated his welcome. Yes, sure, there is. Come on in. At first, the congregation was nervous as they wondered what they would do if Reggie didn't give the correct response to the question. Then one by one looks of recognition appeared on their faces. Reggie was not confused about his role, his part. He understood his part very, very well. Today's scripture reading can be divided into two chapters, two connected parts. And in chapter one, the first part, Jesus understands his part very, very well. In chapter 1, we find him embracing his now familiar role of rabbi. As he clarifies with the crowd, the religious leaders, and later in more detail with his disciples, he clarifies exactly what it is that defiles a person, what it is that makes them unclean. Contrary to popular opinion, it's not what people put into their mouth or touch with their hands that make them unclean. It's what comes out of their mouths, specifically harsh words and intentions that proceed from the heart. These are the things that defile. Anyone in any kind of long term relationship knows this truth. With our loved ones, we live and die by our words. And the words that often sting the most, the words with the most venom, are often the ones that come from our hearts. The words and intentions that arise from our passions, our commitments, our loves. When we are defending and securing and advocating for things important to us, things we are passionate about, our words and our intentions can cut like knife. It is almost as if we believe our passion, our conviction, excuses away any pain we might cause the other person. Now, truth be told, I could stop the sermon here and invite all of us, myself included, to meditate for the rest of the service on this simple reminder from Jesus that it's what comes out of our mouths that defiles us, because let's be honest, we live in a time where everyone feels empowered by their passions to slander, lie, critique, judge, and name call anyone and everyone who disagrees with them. And lest we put the blame of this lack of civility at the feet of our president, make no mistake about it, he is a reflection of our values, not the creator of them. Words and intentions matter, especially, Jesus says, the ones that come from our heart. This is the lesson in chapter one of our two-part story, where Jesus understands clearly the part he is to play in God's unfolding story between God's people. He is the good rabbi who is willing to challenge his people with a tough but compassionate word. In chapter 1, Jesus understands his part very, very well. But in chapter 2, Jesus needs to receive a little help to better understand his role from the last person on earth he expected to receive it. John Lennon and Paul McCartney had an amazing and surprising partnership when it came to creating music. McCartney was meticulous, Lennon was chaotic. McCartney emerged out of a sunny pop tradition, Lennon emerged out of the angst-ridden rebel tradition. They were different, and at times they grated on one another's nerves, but when they came together, and talked with, and listened to, and made space for each other, they could create something amazing. One example of this partnership is the song, Help. John Lennon wrote Help while deep in the throes of depression, which is why the song originally had a slow, moaning sound to it. When McCartney heard it, he suggested a light-hearted counter-melody that fundamentally changed and improved the nature of the piece. Lennon and McCarthy came from different traditions, and they were uniquely their own people. But when they worked together, they brought different tendencies to the creative process that, when mixed together, created something amazing. second chapter of today's gospel story begins with Jesus taking a much-needed vacation on the Mediterranean coast to the region of Tyre and Sidon, the farthest point north in all of Jesus' travels, trying to recharge his batteries a bit after challenging the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees on the finer points of the law. Jesus heads off to what we could call pagan land, where he hopes he won't be bothered or challenged or recognized by anyone, But of course, there is no place where Jesus can go to rest his weary head. The moment he arrives, we are told a Gentile woman, an outsider, starts shouting at him, yelling, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. At first, Jesus takes to heart his own teachings and bites his tongue. Instead of responding to the woman's request or asking her to leave, as the disciples would have him do, Jesus is quiet. He says nothing at all. And the woman, she's smart, she takes advantage of this silence by continuing her cries for help over and over again, crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Eventually, worn down by her repeated and annoying and loud requests, Jesus speaks, a quiet, simple aside, reminding her and himself and his disciples of what he believes to be true. I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When the woman continues her cries for help, despite this simple explanation from Jesus, his frustration finally boils over. We see his human side, and Jesus calls this woman, he calls her a dog. An insult in Greek that's even harsher than it sounds to us today. Of course, Jesus' harsh words towards this Gentile woman, this outsider who only wants her daughter to be healed, by the way, his harsh words don't actually come from a bad place. They come from a really good place. They come from his love for his people, they come from his heart's true desire. It is his deep commitment to his Jewish brothers and sisters and to his current understanding of God's will for him and for them that compels Jesus, that empowers him to call this woman, this outsider, this Gentile, who won't stop yelling at him, to call her a dog. Which shouldn't surprise us, really, because it is, according to Jesus himself, what comes out of the mouth, from the heart, that defiles. I've never liked this exchange. Take out the theological implications of it. Few of us, myself included, like to witness or be part of this kind of conflict between two people. Few of us here like to have a real conversation where I speak my truth and you speak yours and we stay and listen and make room for the truth of the other to sink in. Few of us like to have a real exchange of truths where two people can be so messy and cause so much pain. Which is why what happens next in the story might just be the most important lesson of this two-part narrative today. Jesus stays. Just as he stays with the scribes and Pharisees when he was teaching them the truth, Jesus stays when someone else, even a Gentile outsider, has a truth to reveal to him. Jesus stays and listens to what the woman has to say. And it's her words, her truth, that reveal to him the full extent of God's will. When you know an old house really well, there are a few sounds that surprise you anymore. That's how Gillian Dunham began the account of her 3 a.m. interruption in her home. I was certain that the barely intelligible click that woke me, she writes, was the sound of the storm door, the backyard storm door being opened. There's someone downstairs, I said. Her husband, Matt, was barely awake when she headed down the staircase. She writes, Through the small octagonal window next to the front door, I saw two men standing awkwardly in the dark. They did not knock or ring the bell. They just stood there. I couldn't see their faces. I grabbed the phone, then returned to stand next to the door silently. I did not call the police. The two men did not move. I hesitated and then flipped on the light. They were young, squinting, swaying a bit in jeans and long-sleeved shirts. They stared straight at the door as if waiting for instructions. I really didn't know what to do, or certainly didn't know what I was doing, when I opened the door to two strange men standing on my porch at 3 a.m. in the morning. Are you all right? I asked them. They looked at me blinking, dumbfounded. I remember the eyes of the man on the right twitching a bit. His hands were pulled behind his back. As I followed the direction of his arms, something caught my eye dangling between his knees. A crowbar. Are you okay? I asked them again, even though I'd already seen the crowbar. When I repeated the question, the faces of the two strangers softened a bit. The man on the right nervously shifted the crowbar in his hands as if taking it back. They said the name of a small city nearby and nothing else. I gave them directions on how to get there. They thanked me, bowing their heads slightly and headed back to their car. Before I got in, the driver opened the back door as I watched as he tossed the crowbar onto the seat. Words can hurt, but they can also open hearts. Words can defile, but they can also make a way where it's hard to see one. Words can dehumanize, but they can also reveal the truth. Words have a power for good, But in order for their goodness to be unleashed, words need to be shared and heard and given the space and time to land. Both Jesus and the Canaanite woman needed each other to more fully understand and experience God's will. That much is clear. From this exchange, Jesus gains a new understanding of the scope of his ministry on earth, while the woman gains a deeper understanding of her place in God's kingdom. But as is often the case, the willingness of two adults from across the aisle, the border, the spectrum, or the socioeconomic divide, the willingness of two adults from different worlds to talk with, Listen to and make space for one another, bears fruit beyond their simple interaction. It's so easy to forget, but a young girl is healed in this story. A young girl is healed because Jesus stays and the woman persists. A young girl is set free from a demon that has been tormenting her for years all because Jesus and a nameless Gentile woman talked with, listened to, and made space for one another. The most vulnerable person in this story is the one who most benefited from Jesus' willingness to talk with, listen to, and make space for someone whom he previously gave little thought. Which makes me wonder, who might benefit from your willingness to talk with, listen to, or make space for another, especially another person with whom you see little connection. I'm wondering this morning, have you talked with, listened to, or made space for the words of one of the protesters on Monument Avenue? Have you talked with, listened to, or made space for a police officer? Have you talked with, really talked with a Trump supporter? Have you listened to, really listened to a Black Lives Matter advocate? Have you made space for someone who lives in a different part of town, a part of town different than your own? And more importantly, have you taken the time to reconsider and examine your passions, your loves, and your commitments Especially the ones you believe give you permission to be critical and cruel towards other people. For it's out of our hearts, out of our loves, out of our deep commitments that bad things can come. Congressman John Lewis wrote a beautiful op-ed this week that was to be published on the day of his funeral. And he ended it with these words. I share them with you now. Though I may not be here with you, he writes, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. In my life, I have done all I can to demonstrate that the way of peace, the way of love and nonviolence is the more excellent way. Now it's your turn to let freedom ring. When historians pick up their pens to write the story of the 21st century, let them say that it was your generation, who laid down the heavy burdens of hate at last, and that peace finally triumphed over violence, aggression, and war. So I say to you, walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirit of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. If Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, has to talk with, listen to, and make space for an outsider in order to expand his understanding of God's will. Certainly we who follow him should do the same. Certainly we, like Jesus, have the same need to talk with, listen to, and make space for them, whoever they might be, so we can better understand God's ever-expanding always adapting, all-inclusive love. Amen.